Thank you for choosing to listen to the sermons of the Ninth Avenue Church of Christ. We meet at 2309 9th Avenue in Haleyville, Alabama. And if you're ever in our area, we would love to have you as our guests. If you live in our area, we would love to study the Bible with you. You can call us anytime to study a Bible study or just to gain more information at 205-486-9247. Also visit our website, 9thAvenueCofC.com or check us out on Facebook by simply searching for 9th Avenue Church of Christ. Now we hope you'll join us for a study of God's Word as we seek to follow Him each and every day from the Ninth Avenue Church of Christ in Haleyville, Alabama. David said in Psalms 94 and verses 14, he said, For the Lord will not cast out His people or cast off His people, neither will He forsake His inheritance. Therefore, I had to learn to stop worrying about stuff. And the things and whether or not I could keep a roof over their heads. What the Lord wanted me to be concerned about was whether or not this child that he had placed in my hands. And this girl that he had given me who said I do when I, when she was asked if she would be my wife. That if, if I could depend upon the Lord and be obedient and spiritual for the rest of my life as God gave them to me. David said in verses uh, 13, be a obedient, that we are to be obedient. And for that reason, as a spiritual parent, God would bless us. And I want you to realize that from that great sermon that the Lord preached on that obscure hillside, and that's recorded in Matthew chapter 5, Matthew chapter 6, and Matthew chapter 7. I had to learn what all of us have to learn as spiritual parents. When we start looking and worrying more about the things of this world than worrying about whether or not the riches of God and the spiritual riches are going to be in our home. The Lord said, take no thought saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or wherewithal shall we be clothed? The Lord says, my people don't do that. My folks don't worry about those things. My folks are not concerned about putting $200 tennis shoes on their children's feet. My people are not concerned about whether there's gold in their necks, around their necks or in their ears or these things. That's not their major concern. We have too many people in America today. And I can say as a father and a family man that we have too many people in America that are more concerned about giving their children what they didn't have than they are about giving them what they did have. We did have someone to raise us in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. We did have someone to grab us by the scruff of the neck when we acted a fool and discipline us and bring us back to our sanity. We did have someone who cared enough about us to bring us to church and teach us the word of God. And give us morals and teach us principles and integrity. We did have folks who told us when you go to school, you be a, you be a student. I used to tell people that back in my day, you had the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, and the teacher. 
And if the teacher said something that you didn't do, you knew you were in trouble and nobody would question the teacher's word when the teacher said that you had not done what she told you. We had those things. Now we have children that got a whole lot of stuff, but they don't have those basic things that every child needs. Someone did a study in one of our major universities did a study where they polled thousands of young children, asking them, what is it that you want from your parents? What do you want from your parents? Tell us what you want. They were surprised at the answers. The answers were not better cars or more shoes or better clothes or a bigger house or vacations or more money in their pockets or larger allowances. Those were not the answers. The answer that came consistently over and over and over again from those young people was, we want our parents to be our parents, to be our parents. We don't want them to be our buddies, our friends, our homies, our posses, our sisters, our brothers. We want them to be our parents. What the children ask in this cross-section all over the country They said, we want somebody to act like they care enough about us to be our parents. My wife and I, we had 12 foreign students that stayed in our house. Our daughters have 12 sisters from around the world, Japan, Germany, Norway, uh, the Netherlands, uh, uh, and several other places where we had 12 young ladies that stayed in our home for a year that were foreign exchange students. One of those foreign exchange students was a young lady by the name of Leachy. She was from Germany. And she was a beautiful little girl. She came with all kinds of allergies. She said when she left, she didn't have any type of allergies. She ate everything that we put on the table. But the fact of the matter is, when she went out, I told her, this is the curfew. You are back in my house by 10 o'clock, period. And I think that she and my daughter at that time were in the 11th grade. And I said, you're back in my house on this school night by 10 o'clock, and I'm stretching it just a little bit. Well, Leecha came in at midnight, and she was tipping in. I heard the door open. I'm sitting in my office, which is downstairs, and I heard the door open, and I heard it close. And I called. I said, Leechie, is that you? And in broken German English, she said, yes, it is. And I said, come in here for a moment. And she came in my office and I said, you're grounded for the next two weeks. And she said, what? I said, what does that mean? I said, that means all the activities, no going out, this, that, and the other. I laid it down the line with her. I said, for the next two weeks, you're grounded. She said something in German and I I bet it wasn't complimentary. And then she ran up the stairs, and she got up the stairs, and I I heard her stomping all the way up to the stairs to her bedroom. I did not care. I just sat there and continued my study. Probably after 20 or 30 minutes, I heard somebody come back down the stairs. Leechy came into my office. She walked over to my desk, and she hugged me. I said, what is it, Leachy? She says, nobody has ever cared enough about me my whole life to ground me. I have never been disciplined my whole life. And you know, what, what the, the scientists, the social scientists and psychologists found out, 
that children want that person who is the authority figure to act like they have authority and use that authority with love. We're not talking about provoking them to anger. We're not talking about beating them half to death. That's not what we're talking about. But we're talking about what the Lord said, teaching them to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all the things shall be added unto them by the proper example. When we care for those things that the Lord has has taught us to care for, he'll care for us while we care for our children. Parents should pray Solomon's prayer. As we look at the time and commitment that it takes for us to raise our children, Solomon prayed in 1 Kings chapter 3 and verses 5 when God asked him what he wanted. We need to ask God the same thing in dealing with our children. Give therefore thy servant an understanding heart. I prayed for God to help me raise those babies both of them held to my finger and looked me in the eyes. I asked God to give me strength to raise them in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. While my child is an inheritance, raise, I am to raise them for God. I am a steward for them. I've got to understand something. That that child's personality and most of what that child is going to learn their entire life, they know by the time of six years old. By the time of six, that child's personality is formed. This is one of the reasons why Jews would wait so many years. They would wait till the child was three or four or five or six before they would even name the child. Which is why when we go to the Bible, names have meanings. This person's name means something because they would look at the personality of the child. Solomon tells us in Proverbs 22 and 6 that every one of us can understand and the majority of you can quote, train up a child in the way that he should go. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. When you look at that word train, it comes from a Hebrew word, which means to force. I don't ever remember my mom and daddy asking me if I wanted to go to church. I don't ever remember them asking me if I felt like going to school. I just don't remember my daddy asking me if I felt like doing my chores, cutting the grass, or shining the shoes on Saturday night getting ready for church. I don't remember ever being asked in such a way that I was given an option to obey what they had told me to do. As a matter of fact, I was forced up. And I know you've heard it before, so but I'm going to use it anyway. Uh, that I tell folk all the DeBerry children had a drug problem. All of us had a drug problem. We were drugged to Sunday school. We were drugged to night service. We were drugged to gospel meetings, VBS. We were drugged to tent meetings and everywhere my daddy preached. He drug us right behind him. We didn't have the option of saying, I don't want to go to church or I don't want to go to service or I don't want to go to Sunday school. People say, I don't want to force religion on my child. I don't want to force certain things on my child. God tells us to teach those things which are natural. I tell folk are not natural. Christianity is not natural. I don't care what you say, it's not natural. 
Natural is, you shoot my dog, I kill your cat. That's natural. But Christianity is not natural. The Lord tells us, love your enemy. That's not natural. The Lord tells us to forgive those who persecute us and beride us and treat us badly. That's not natural. The Lord tells you if somebody slaps you on one cheek, turn the other cheek. Lord knows that show ain't natural. The fact of the matter is, Christianity is not natural. That's why we teach it. That's why we teach it to our children. That's why we learn at church. That's why we study the word of God and we follow the example of Jesus Christ. The Hebrew letter tells us about our Savior. We have not a high priest which cannot be touched by the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all ways tested, tested just as we are yet without sin. They tested Jesus. They blindfolded him and smacked him upside his face and said, who hit you? Somebody spit in his face with his hands tied with the spittle running down his face. He can't even stop it from running in his mouth. Jesus Christ, they talked about his mama. They said, you don't know who your daddy is. They called him ignorant. What does this boy get learning? Jesus went through all of it. Poverty. Born in a stable. Wrapped in a swaddling cloth. And laid inside the feeding trough. Where the animals were eating. Jesus went through all of these things. And the scriptures still say about him. Who knew no sin. No sin. Neither was guile found in his mouth. And when there's an assessment done of this boy, when he's just 12 years old, the Bible says that he grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor of God and man. He grew in wisdom. He grew intellectually. He grew in stature. He grew physically. He grew in favor of God. He grew spiritually. He grew in favor of man. He grew socially. Jesus was a well-rounded young man. And it's our job, our job, as parents and grandparents and great-grandparents and uncles and aunts and in this beautiful congregation with all of these beautiful people to make sure that your children, your children carry on your beliefs. Don't you understand that these children sitting here, these children are our ambassadors. They are our ambassadors We send these children to a time that we're not going to see. I know just like my father, who's been dead over 10 years, almost 12, I got a beautiful picture sitting of him, of him sitting on my piano. My great-grandparents, Stalin and Susie Hall, I got a beautiful picture they took at church back in the days when they colorized the pictures sitting on my piano. I've got a black and white small picture taken somewhere when Enos and Mary Garrett had taken that picture years ago. Don't you realize that one day I'm going to join them on that piano somewhere with my daughters or my granddaughters? I want them to say, who, who is that? That's Papa when their children ask. Who is that? That's Papa. What did Papa do? Papa preached the gospel. Was Papa a good man? Papa was a good man. Did Pop, did you love Papa? Yes, I love Papa. Why did you love Papa? I love Papa because Papa loved me. Don't you know that you want to have that type of legacy with your children? That when you leave this world, your work should follow you. Because you stood for those things that were right 
and you raise them in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. If we are to continue our heritage, this beautiful church here on Ninth Street, this beautiful congregation that has stood here for a century, with many of you who have been here decades and decades and decades, don't you know if the legacy that you have laid, the history that you have made, the investments that you have made in this community, in this congregation, is going to continue, then you've got to take care of your young and make sure that they are spiritual. Moses told the children of Israel from the bottom of the mountain, and thou shalt teach them diligently unto your children in Deuteronomy chapter 6. Verses 7 and verses 8. He says, you teach them diligently to your children. You talk about what God did when thou sittest in the house. When you walk it by the way. When you lie it down. When you rise it up. Your children ought to hear you pray. They ought to hear you say reverent praises to God. They ought to hear you say nice things about the brothers and sisters in the church. Too many children grow up. On stewed elders, barbecued preachers, and fricasseed deacons. Too many of them hear us speak negatively of the church and of church people. Children ought to hear you speak of the church as family. And the men and women of the church as your brothers and sisters. So that they will love the church. Too many homes. When the children leave home, they leave church. Because our college campuses and too many places have become those places of evil and debauchery and corruption and perversion and excess and lasciviousness. And that's what's happening in too many places. You've got to fortify your children before you turn them loose on the world or to the world. Joshua determined who his house would follow In Joshua chapter 24 and verses 15, while others of the men, and we know, you're you're Bible scholars, you know that the men would assemble in the front and the women and children would assemble in the back. So when Joshua was talking to the children of Israel, he's looking those men, those fathers, those warriors, those leaders, those individuals who are supposed to be the example of what Israel is. He's looking at them waffle and compromise and waver and complain. When God has given them the promised land, gave it to them. All you've got to do is go take it. Because God has already promised it. And God the promise maker is God the promise keeper. And God would keep his promise. They'd already many times murmured and complained and been unwilling to stand what God told them to. Joshua said, if, if it seemed evil to you, as he looked at those men, if it seemed evil, evil, if it's not rational, plausible, if it's not profitable for you to serve the Lord, Joshua said, choose, choose. And I can see him looking around that assembly at those men with red hot indignation in his eyes, realizing that God had brought them across the Red Sea. God had carried them through the wilderness. 
God had fed them and given them clothes and shoes that wouldn't wear out. I can see the indignation of this godly man as he looks those men in the eye and said, choose, choose you this day, right now. Make a choice. He's demanding that they act manly and realize what God has done for them and what they've got to do for him. But Joshua did what every Christian man needs to do. He told them, here is where I stand. Joshua said, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Today, we have a generation with no respect for authority. We have raised a generation of adult-like children and child-like adults. You can go out in the streets of Haleyville and you can find a pack of dogs. Not all of them together, not worth 15 cents. A bunch of old mangy dogs who not worth anything. But I guarantee you they know who the head dog is. And I guarantee you they know who the top dog of that pack of mangy dogs is. We're raising our children where they have no respect. No respect for their elders. That's what we see happening in America today. The television programs, the politicians, the laws of the land are constantly taking away the authority of the parent to raise that child as they see fit. Now you've got to raise the child the way the government sees fit. Down in Memphis a couple of years ago, a young man came home and he walked into his daddy's house. And he had gang graffiti tattooed on his arm after his father had strictly forbidden him from going around that group of boys. That father whipped his son, punished his son. And the police arrested him for punishing his son. I'm not getting on in that argument of what is and what isn't right for punishment. I'm not going there right now. Here's the issue. After he whipped his son for getting that gang graffiti all over his both of his arms tattooed that can't be removed. And he punished his son. The police arrested him and locked him up in jail. In one week, the boy was dead. In one week, the boy was dead. They put his father in jail. And in a week... The boy was dead. My daddy used to tell us, and excuse the expression, elders, but he said, I'm going to whoop you behind so the police don't have to whoop you behind. And we heard that all the time. And he meant what he said. I think fathers passed that stuff around from one generation. Boy, I brought you in this world. I'll take you out and, and make another one just like you. And I, I remember my daddy saying stuff like that. But one thing, brothers and sisters, we've got to instill in our families is what John said in 1 John chapter 2 and verses 15 that all of you can quote. John says, love not the world, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. John said all that's in the world is the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, the pride of life. Love not the world. Stop trying to fit into the world. 
Right now we have the suicide rate in America is going up. It is going through the roof. It is a national crisis of suicide in America. But it gets worse. The victims of suicide are getting younger and younger. Recently, a six-year-old first grader took his own life. And you got to ask yourself, what in the world is it that a sixth grader, a, a six-year-old child in the first grade, what in the world is he going through to make him take his own life? How many children go online, go on the internet to see what someone's talking about? To see if they're talking about them online. They spend all of their time on the internet to see who's talking about them. To see if someone's calling them names. Now you and I know when we grew up, and I know it's cliche-ish and it's, it's hokey, but we used to say it. We used to say sticks and stones break my bones, but names will never hurt me. We used to say that because we were taught that there is nothing you can say that can can hurt me because I am defined by those things which I have been taught. How in the world are you going to hurt me if you don't know me, if you don't know my family, if you don't understand my parents, if you don't know my faith and I walk by faith and not by sight and most certainly not by what you say about me? A young woman climbed to the top of a tower, water tower, and jumped off the tower because of what somebody said about her on the Internet. At the end of the day, it's our responsibility to give our children the assurances so that the world cannot get through to them in that fashion. Children are to be instructed about God and accept the spiritual upbringing. And Proverbs chapter 4 and verses 1, Hear ye children the instruction of your fathers and attend to no understanding. For the young people in the room, the apostle Paul gave you some advice. In Ephesians 6 and 1, Paul said, as all of you can quote, Children, obey your parents, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing unto the Lord. I remember I came home one time, and I had just finished football practice. And I had my cleats on. And I walked in my mama's house. And I'm walking on her hardwood floors. Clip, clop, clip, clop, clip. My mama said, Nick, take those spikes off. Don't walk on my floors. Clip, clop, clip, clop, clip. Nick, take those spikes off. Don't walk on my floors. Clip, clop, clip, clop. Went in my room and slammed the door. My, I don't know what was wrong with me. I I, I really don't. I, I don't know what happened. I know it had to be some type of temporary insanity. But she didn't say nothing. She didn't come in the door. I lay on my bed, my arms crossed, my football britches on, my spikes still on. Feeling real good about myself. But my daddy came home. And he opened the door real slow, and he closed the door behind him. And he walked in, he took his jacket off. He says, so I hear you've been talking smart to my woman. It ain't my mama now, it's his woman. I hear you've been talking smart to my woman. He took his coat off, and he unbuttoned it, he's rolling his sleeves up. 
And uh, I know she told you to do this, and she told you to do that. And I'm getting younger by the minute. You know, I was almost in diapers before he left out of there, <laughs> rolling up his sleeve. Because he let me know, he let me know that you're in my house. You don't talk to my woman like that. And you don't disobey her like that. And you know, it was a day, a lesson, when I had to understand the man that I admired more than anybody else on earth was not going to take that from me. Basically, what my daddy did was taught me a lesson that I was going to respect my mother and I was going to be respectful in his house. Ladies and gentlemen, there are some things we cannot choose. I didn't choose to be the son of Pearl and John D. Berry on February 5th, 1951. I didn't choose to be born in Shelby County, Memphis, Tennessee. I didn't choose the color of my skin or the color of my hair or the color of my eyes. I didn't get a chance to choose any of that. All of those things were chosen by my parentage, my bloodline, and my DNA. But I do get a chance to choose as to whether or not I'm a child of God or not. I get to choose as to whether or not I'm respectful or disrespectful. I get to choose whether I carry myself with character and principles and integrity. These are things I choose. And I choose them because I was taught by folks who made sure I knew the difference between the holy and the profane. Remember Solomon said, train them up, and when they're old, they will not depart from it. He's not saying they won't make mistakes. He's not saying at some point they're not going to act a fool like I did with my mama. He's not saying they're not going to go to the world and do something like the prodigal son who went off into the world to a far country. Raise your children so that they know the devil when they meet him. They understand devilment when they see it. They understand the devil's words when they hear it. And they know how to say no and walk away. The Bible lets me know that the prodigal, the prodigal, he went off to a far country and found himself about to fill his belly with the maggot-filled husk that the swine were eating. He was a Jew. They didn't even eat swine. And I believe the ammonia of that stuff knocked his head back and he looked in his hands and said, what in the world am I doing? What am I doing he said, in my father's house, his servants eat. In my father's house, there is comfort. In my father's house. And this young man used his last strength. His father ran out and met him and fell on him. My son was blind, but sees was lost and is found. But he went to a far country. Your children, our children, some of us, many have left the home going to set the world on fire. And they had to come back home to get another match. Because they realized that what they thought they knew, the strength they thought they had, the understanding and knowledge that they thought they had acquired, that it's not enough to fight the devilish, mean, and unyielding ways of men who hate the Lord and therefore hate them. Ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters, as a family man, Talking to America, I want them to realize that every tyrant, every bad 
uh, leader, every pusher, every pimp killer, every thief, every addict was somebody's little boy or somebody's little girl. That no little girl stood up in third grade class on career day and say, I want to walk the streets and, and, and would elicit, uh, doing things which are awful to my own body. No little girl said that. No little boy in the third grade stood up and said, I want to be on the streets selling drugs or spend the rest of my life in prison. How did it happen? Because they were not raised the way that God wanted them to be raised. So brothers and sisters, ladies and gentlemen, I want you to remember that every tyrant is targeting our children. They want your children to sell you out, to come to a foreign country, to learn how to shoot. I was watching a program that uh, we were supposed to watch to really, truly understand. It looked like a birthday party. And at this birthday party, everyone was talking to the young man who was the guest. And while you're looking at this, then the camera pans down. And there's a man hog-tied laying on the table. And they handed that little boy a knife. And that little boy took that man's head and proceeded to solve that man's head off while he gurgled in his own blood and held up the head while they all sang praises to the young man as he held the head around. And I looked at that and I realized what they were trying to say. You don't allow your children to be defined or find their morals and their principles from someone other than the people in this room. Their parents, their grandparents, their great-grandparents, their uncles, their aunts, their elders, their preachers, their Sunday school teachers, people that love them. Because your children are the target of the world. They want your children because they represent what America is. And if they can turn and pervert and corrupt your children, they have a chance to get those who are not as well raised as your children. In Joshua chapter 4, 21 through 24, in one generation, in one generation, in one generation, they lost the Lord in one generation. Will they be in America 20 years from now? Will they be in America 40 years from now? Will they be in America 60 years from now? That depends on what you're teaching this generation right now. Our ambassadors that we send to a time that we will not see. They are about 25 to 30 percent of the population. But they are 100 percent of the future. And if you don't get them ready for the future, somebody else will and somebody else will teach them what you fail to teach them. Somebody said to me one time about my children, my daughters. They said, your daughters are uppity. I said, I beg your pardon? They said, your daughters are uppity. I said, thank you. Thank you. They said, what do you mean, thank I said, thank you for telling me my daughters are uppity. I did everything I could to make them. What do you want them to be, downity? What do you want them to be? Yes, of course they're uppity. You can't, you gotta, you can't bring your, uh, just tell them anything. You gotta bring your A game to talk to my daughters. You gotta have some sense to talk to my daughters. Because you won't be the first one to bring my daughters flowers. I brought my daughters flowers. 
You won't be the first one to buy my daughter's jewelry. I bought my daughter's jewelry. You won't be the first one to take them to a nice restaurant. I took my daughters to a nice restaurant. You won't be the first one to tell them that you love them because I told them all the time that I love them. I said, if you want my daughters, you got to be a man because they were brought up by a man. They were taught by a man. They understand when a man is acting like a man. They understand when a man is acting with manners and courtesy and love and and when a man is carrying himself the way he ought to. I said, thank you. Yes, my daughters are uppity and I'm so glad that they are. And you better make sure that your sons and daughters are uppity too. Brothers and sisters, we need to remember something that our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ was a child once. And he carried himself in such a way that we all have an example. When I hear this and I believe this with all of my heart, when I repent of my sins and acknowledge that Jesus is the Son of God, when I am buried in the watery grave of baptism, what God did was take baptism as the perfect symbol because I go into that water and I stand up again as a new creature. And if we fall away like the prodigal, God has already given us his character. God says, I want to forgive you because I'm not willing that any should perish. God don't want his enemy and your adversary to have you forever. God, Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you in John 14. And if I go, I will come again and receive you to myself. That where I am there, you may be also. The Lord says, I got a place for you. He, he created hell for the devil and his angels. And the only way you can even get there is to accept the invitation of the current occupant. And that's the devil. And he wants you to join him eternally there because he hates the fact that you've got the mercy of God. Let me leave you with this this afternoon and I thank you so much for your hospitality and your kindness and your patience all week a young lady was having uh, her and her husband were having babies they had been told that they were having twins and as the process went she had the first child the first child once the process had gone through and they had done what they were supposed to do so that the, the child would breathe The child took his first breath and spit and began to cry. And they laid the child in her mother's breast for just a moment. And then gave she gave them back to the doctors while the second child was being born. They had a little bit of difficulty with the second child. And when the second child was born, he was born stillborn. And the child was not breathing and the child was blue and they worked on the child and they pumped his heart and they cleared his throat and they gave him oxygen. They worked on the child over and over and over and they finally gave up the nurses and doctors looking at each other and they knew what they were saying just by the look in their eyes. It was time to cut it off and they were taking the baby away and they were going to take him wherever they took a dead child. And the mother pleaded, let me hold him for just a moment. They said, no, it's not good for you to hold this child when we got to take him back from him. And she cried and she pleaded, let me hold him for just a moment before you take him away. And that stillborn child who had already turned blue, she took that child and she held that child to her heart. 
And she cried tears while that stillborn baby laid there. And after a few seconds, that child coughed and spit up mucus from its throat and opened its eyes. True story. There was something about his mother's heart, something he had heard for nine months that made him come back to life or come back to consciousness. And that child that they had pronounced dead was brought back to life by his mother's heart. How many of us are being pronounced dead because we've lost the heartbeat of our Savior? How many of us are walking dead in a world because we've walked away from the heartbeat of our Savior? That we can't hear him anymore, we can't see him anymore, we can't feel him anymore. Because we have turned off all of those things that made us love him. We've got to hear our Savior's heartbeat again. And we've got to realize that he's the one that loves us more than anyone has ever loved us. Think about it as a preacher talking to America. Let us, you and me, we can save this country. We can. Lord said, you're the light of the world. You are. Salt of the earth. You savor it. Let's make America again feel the heartbeat of Christ. Think about it.